Summer, the character from Rick and Morty. That's the first lines of dialogue on this podcast right now. <laughs> That's the cold open is you talking about shipping. Yeah. Was it Gene and Dean Ween? No, 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 no. Gene, Gene Ween with Summer from Rick and Morty. That's it. Yeah. That's that's the Anyone open. else have have a ship that they want to <laughs> set sail on right now? Uh, Sailing the Seas of Cheese as my ship is uh-huh. a Primus album. This is nothing. I also <laughs> ship um, Nancy's mom from Stranger Things. Oh no. Uh, with uh, Norb uh, from Angry Beavers. So. <laughs> oh god. Norb and Daggett. Uh, so yeah, Norb and uh, Nancy's mom. There was so. a character named Norb. Uh-huh. And Daggett That's was the wild. other one. Angry Beavers. Wild. Nickelodeon shows. <laughs> I guess the intro music... Does anyone else have two non-sequitur characters they want to say back-to-back? <laughs> <laughs> no. No. I'm putting the intro music in right okay, now. Okay, rule of three. Two one kill- more. Oh, okay, Ray's okay. lightsaber. <laughs> Oh, so we ventured into inanimate objects for this. Oh, I'm sorry. You don't think lightsabers have feelings? It's midichlorians. They've talked about that. Yeah, okay. It's Ray's lightsaber and... um, All those kids. (laughs) In episode three. Yes. All right. Got it. Nailed it. Send it. it. All right, intro music. Hi, everybody, and uh, welcome back to Something Old, Something New, Something Borrowed, and Something Brewed. A natural transition? <laughs> no, usually people uh, people biff that one hard because yeah. we oh, don't tell them. you're a natural. Uh, yeah, we don't, we don't tell people to say that, and then they like pause, but I think Andrew pointed, so. I, I gave a cue. Okay. That was good. That's uh, kind of like your Nardwar moment. <laughs> yeah wow yes thank right. you for putting us in the same sentence man that is the greatest compliment we've ever holy received. you're shit. welcome uh <laughs> as always i am andrew j pytel and with me is nick lancaster yeah i was about to take a beer a sip of beer and then uh-huh. i was like oh shit i have to say my name and then you said my name and we've got a special guest with us today um we didn't ask you how you wanted to be introduced because we're fake professionals so. okay <laughs> I was, just gonna, I was just going to see if you both remember my name. So. Nick, you want to give it a... It's Sean Hartman. I know. <laughs> no, I know. Credits, man. You got to give him some credits. Uh, uh, entrepreneur. Okay. Yes, I'll of, take that. Of records. Yep. Um, DJ. Checks out. Are you... Oh, no. And blonde. <laughs> are, you, are you DJ Hard Bargain? That's me. Okay, cool. <laughs> man, I got it. Crushed it. I was worried. I absolutely knocked that one out of the park. Sean Hartman, everybody. Wow. Good. So, (laughs) yeah, we're in that sophomore slump right now of it being our, we're in the third year of doing this show. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> Forgotten how to start. So I'll start. Uh, this week for Something Old, I brought in one of my um, favorite albums to listen to when I don't want to be as happy as I currently am. <laughs> okay. Uh, the the late 90s classic In the Airplane Over the Sea by Neutral Milk Hotel. As made famous, I'm told, by April Ludgate referencing it on Parks and Rec in 2011. Right, and then there's <laughs> there's also the Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee where Stephen Colbert like sings some of it. Yeah, he does. And Jerry's very embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. This is a weird aside in that, but uh, Colbert's saying... The Mountain Goats with the well, he's saying uh, this year with the Mountain Goats on his TV show. I saw that in like yeah. a recommended video. Yeah. It was it was interesting. I never would have guessed. Yeah, he loves it's indie very... rock from the nineties. I guess. Man, that and Irish Catholicism don't go super <laughs> great together. Which and is Lord why. of the Rings. Yeah, apparently he's a huge Lord of the Rings nerd. We're, That's cool. We've got That's Stephen cool. Colbert on the show. <laughs> <laughs> God, I wish. So, if you've never listened to In the Airplane Over the Sea, you've pro- I, would, I would venture to say you've probably heard at least a song from this album before. and didn't Or seen know the it. album art. Or seen the album art or a reference to it. And yeah, it was probably playing in a coffee shop that you were in for a few minutes. Yeah, if you've been in a coffee shop or <laughs> uh, any sort of hip beverage establishment, no matter what the beverage is ever, you've probably <laughs> caught at least part of one of these tracks. Uh, and if you haven't, before we jump into the sound... Uh, I want to say that it it's an album about want, wanting to bone Anne Frank. I, I'm sorry, I'm just going to rip the Band-Aid right off. It's an album about wanting to bone Anne Frank. It's an album about a love that is deeper than physically possible. Uh, and parts of it are just, I, I think, nonsense. Uh, and it is still absolutely one of my favorite uh I was going to say collections of songs, but it is, it is, I would give it the full album rating of it makes sense front to back as much as it possibly can. Yeah. That, that's interesting that you go into like the lyrical content right away because uh, lyrics are not something I usually really pay attention to mm-hmm. that much in music. And I hadn't listened to this album in years, so I like revisited it the other day. I knew we were doing the podcast and like immediately was like, man, these lyrics don't make any sense. And I, I thought <laughs> about like, do I want to like read a bunch of blogs about people like talking about what it is or they think it's about, or do I just leave it mm-hmm. alone? And I just kind of left it alone. Cause it's also one of those albums that like these seemingly nonsensical lyrics are sung so passionately that I feel like the majority of the fan base just feels like they connect with it without actually being able to tell you how they connect with it. You mm-hmm. know, it's just like a very like, like easy emotional response to it, which I think is kind of mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, in a way, yeah. I feel like I, that. Yeah. Oh, I feel, I feel like that's like part of the aesthetic of the record. Like mm-hmm. I was listening to it at work um, a few days ago, just kind of on my little Bluetooth speaker, which is not the greatest way to listen to music, but like his voice is like so strained, and it made me it made me actually think a lot of. Uh, we've talked about this before, but like Ben Folds and other singers, like mm-hmm. Roger Waters, I've talked about on the show before. But like these these singer songwriters that don't have the prettiest voices, but are like very like passionate about what they do and like just do it anyway. And like there are a few moments on this album that I remember. Um, I don't remember exactly what songs they were, but it's like you can hear his voice 
strain to like maintain notes and like mm-hmm. like he's it, it sounds like you can like almost hear that vein and like the side of his neck bulging as he's like yeah. just doing this shit oh absolutely um even early on in the second track which is king of carrot flowers parts two and three um really early going into this move which is like hit the high note and then immediately crossfade like the voice out because it do- it doesn't go anywhere, but we're getting the uh, the feeling of a sustained high note. Um, so let's let's start with a song that makes a relative amount of sense and is the one you're most likely to hear in public. Uh, th- let's listen to the titular track in the airplane over the sea as a place to start. What was that you were saying about that, Nick? About what? About what? His voice? Or just no, the song in general? The song in general. Just now. Oh. I mean, we were talking about like how it feels like his voice is like capping out at, at that strain. Oh. See, I, I thought we were talking about the synth work. Oh, the singing saw. Yeah. Which apparently is on this record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that just like an analog theremin? No, it's literally a saw. Okay. I was, it's an actual saw? Yeah, Totally. Yeah, well, you, can, you, can, some... you could go buy like a big old saw, yeah. a saw at Lowe's right now, and you just bow it with a violin bow. Uh-huh. Um, I've only kinda, seen that. You kind of hold once. it under one leg and you bend it, and then just like mm-hmm. bow it. And depending on like how much you bend it, you can get different pitches out of it. I watched a woman play the saw once, and it was pretty wild. It's fun. Yeah, it's that cool. Hmm. And then you kind of just like you know move it back and forth quickly to get vibrato. So if you're not like hitting the notes perfectly, which is kind of hard to do on that, mm-hmm. it kind of gets relatively there which fits perfectly with most of the aesthetic of the vocals and instrumentation on this record yeah like it's they're not going for pitch perfect notes on this which is the charm of the record no not pitch perfect and not uh they're clearly a lot of the tracks they're clearly not playing to a click track Mm -hmm. there's a definite like ebb and flow of rhythm throughout it it kind it kind of perfectly rides that line between like like very accessible pop content done in an extremely amateurish way, but like it's never too pretty to make people feel like mm-hmm. it's a like yeah you know like super popular record or something. But it's never too outsider to like scare people away. Mm-hmm. It just perfectly rode that line the whole way through. Yeah, and and that song in the airplane over the sea is a pretty standard love song if you can say that about any of these, um, like. Uh, I love somebody, a bad thing's gonna happen eventually, let's have fun before that does the end. You know, the way that's filled in is definitely uh, open for interpretation, as you were saying. Um, it, but I, I think as you get into some of the weirder and more cult favorite songs on this, uh, Two-Headed Boy, which my actual favorite version of it is the um, the AJJ cover of it, which is pretty great. But Two-Headed Boy is that exact thing where it's played with enough passion and enough intensity, as was mentioned earlier, that it's just immediately like, uh, I relate to the emotional feeling of this song, mm-hmm. and then when I sit down and listen to the lyrics, I'm like, not actually sure what any of this means. Yeah. And I did. I did, years ago, read all of the different blogs that are like, here's what I think it's about, yeah. and here's what this means to me, and... I think it's it's an ill-fated task to try and figure that out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, except for yourself. I don't think there's a solution to a lot of this. Well, that's... B- before you got here, um, I wasn't sure if you were actually going to bring this up or not. 
because we've talked about it on the show mm-hmm. a lot, but the Seinfeld isn't funny trope. Yeah. And I feel like this album and this band is one of those, like, fire starters for this style. Like, you already brought up HAJ. Mm-hmm. And it's like, HAJ is like, if you want to check the boxes, one, like, a lot of the times, like, nonsensical lyrics mm-hmm. that are sung very passionately. Two, like, riding that line of, like, good production value, but not, like, overly produced, so it sounds like it's, like, a pop record, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, that that's one of the good examples of people that have come from this, but I feel like there's probably a lot of bad examples of people trying to... Oh, like, sure. Get, ...get in on, like, that Neutral Milk Hotel yeah. sees, and it has not worked out well for them. Well, and a lot of popular emotional bands fell, you know, somewhere between... Uh, Neutral Milk Hotel and American Football in what was like the emo scene uh, of the early, early 2000s before that became completely like pop punk. Right. Um, and that sort of drive. But I think, so, this, so that was a song that makes relative amount of sense. Um, and, and a song that I was listening to when I, when I was, I listened to the whole thing today. And one of the ones that was always fun for me when it came on at work because it's so unassuming and so weird is Communist Daughter. And I think that would be fun to grab a listen to. Okay. Talk about that for a second after. All right. Here is a little sample of Communist Daughter from Neutral Milk Hotels in the Aeroplane Over the Sea. You're making a face, Nick. So that's kind of fun. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a little different. It's a very, it's a very tender, it's a very tender song that talks a, a lot about semen. Yeah, well, and that's one, this is one of those ones, so my goal here was to go, you know, makes the most sense, doesn't really mean hardly anything, and then we'll, we'll finish with sort of a middling clip, but like, I don't know, we just listened to the whole thing because it's, what, a minute long, and yeah. you know, I don't really think it's about anything, it's just sort of like the voice as an instrument with a couple of buzzwords to create a f- one one feeling across that minute. Right. And Genius yet- sure seems to think there's a lot about this song. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they do. Uh, and yet, without uh, knowing what the lyrics are about, the song is still very emotionally affecting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? It's, like, it's definitely like a mood-altering album, especially if you're like listening to it by yourself. Somewhere. Oh, yeah. Like, it... The album takes you places. It still does, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I've listened to it a ton of times for years, and like, still coming back. It's like, yeah, this is this is good. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, when I revisit this, I was like very expecting to like be kind of bland about it because mm-hmm. like so often, you know, records I was really into in like early high school just don't carry the same mm-hmm. weight anymore. Going back, but this one, I'm like, no, I still I still like this record. Yeah, it's, it's got a lot of power to it. Um, and the one thing I was thinking about too is like. It's really easy to pass this record off critically as like, okay, it's been played in every coffee shop everywhere. You know, it's it's like really overhyped in a lot of mm-hmm. ways, overplayed in a lot of ways. But I think everybody's got like a really good story or memory of the first time they listened to it. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I'm kind of curious, like what was your guys' like first interaction with this record? Um. It was it was in my friend's car and they played uh, uh, Two Headed Boy back to back with the AJJ cover of it. Mm-hmm. I'd never heard anything from this album before. And I was like, this is the creepiest, saddest song I've ever heard. <laughs> and like I went back to so years later 
uh, maybe maybe just a year and a half later or something. I was like, I gotta look that up. I don't remember what that was, and I've you know, remembered enough lyrics to track it down. Got the album, started listening to it, and I remember I was listening to, I was playing Two Headed Boy for my girlfriend in the car, and I was like, this is a really weird, sad song. And she was like, well, I don't know, I don't know where you're getting sad from because I don't know what the fuck he's talking about at all. <laughs> and I was like, huh? So I listened to it like four more times in a row, and I was like. You're right. Like I, I also don't, really, don't know. I also don't know <laughs> anymore yeah. what this means. But at the same time, it's still very emotionally evocative. Even when I was like, "Huh," I thought I had a better understanding of what these lyrics meant. Sure. Turns out it wasn't about that <laughs> at all. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't think I have really that much of an interesting story about it, other than I think I. This is back in the days when I was an avid Zune user. Ooh. And uh, that's like a recurring theme on the show is that I am a a, a stan of the Zune. A Zune doggle. A Z- I'm a Zune head. Zune head. head. Back in the day. And I had like a subscription to like their marketplace, very similar to like Spotify and Apple Music, but you know, in like the mid 2000s. Mm-hmm. And so like, I could just add whatever I wanted. And I had always heard good things about this album. And I was just like, oh, I'll add it eventually, and then listen to it eventually. <laughs> and I didn't do that. But I, I think part of the reason that I didn't do that was, <clears throat> again, I, I think I had heard that it was this overhyped hipster bullshit album that I was just like, yeah, like I'm sure it's fine, but I don't really think I'll like it all that much because it it's one of those overhyped things. And I think... Um, this is like a weird tangent because I've also talked about this on the show, but like I saw Garden State for the full time for the like the full movie the other day, mm-hmm. and I didn't absolutely hate it like I thought I was going to, and I think this album a lot like that movie and a lot of those things coming out at the time is like if you're too like irony poisoned, and you just see anything like genuine as just like mm-hmm. overhyped and like overly saccharine or whatever, like you just won't. You, you like it'll be like a reflexive thing you just won't like it mm-hmm. and i think you kind of have to put yourself in like 1998 shoes and tear away some of that irony and maybe cynicism and just like listen to it with fresh ears which is hard it's hard for me to do that and just like not want to like nitpick it and like f- try to find all like the hipster bullshit about it which is like that's I guess that's my story about this album. <laughs> Hell yeah! How I've come to enjoy it more than I thought I was going to. Yeah, nice. I think in in a strange way, I kind of came into this record in maybe the most perfect way because like I, I definitely didn't hear it when it first came out. Mm-hmm. I probably got into this more like um like early two thousands kind of thing, and it was like in a friend's basement with like Napster or something. And like, I had like just started getting into this like new weird music I was hearing about called indie rock. And like, <laughs> my friend had just told me about this band with the weirdest name called modest mouth. And like, Hell yeah. I still wasn't positive. If I liked it, but I wanted to hear more stuff uh-huh. that was in that vein. And someone was like, well, you got to hear this, this album I just downloaded. I got like most of the songs finished. And my, <laughs> I just got to find a like, more cedars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> We played some tracks. Was like, this is. I think I. I think I like this, but it's like, <laughs> it's so weird and like, yeah. so like just without the context of not knowing how many people were into it. You know, at that point, 
I was one of three people that ever heard the record in, in my world, you know? Yeah. So like I was Absolutely. able to really like take it in without worrying or thinking or even like having the ability to know like what the mass opinion mm-hmm. of the record was and just like spending a lot of time with it listening to by myself. And then it wasn't until like years later when I started working at the record store and I put it on and someone was like, Oh, this record, I'm so sick of hearing this. I'm like, Oh, really? Like, <laughs> like you're what? like, yeah, like, do you not hang out in coffee shops? Like, no, nah, I, I don't drink coffee. <laughs> what do you <laughs> mean? Like, yeah, when this record came out, like, everybody heard it too much. Like, that's funny. So, like, the people you know that were just. What's funny about f- that to me is yeah. I bet it wasn't even when it came out. I bet it was when, like, someone in their circle of friends uh, just, <laughs> like, discovered it again yeah. or something. Because with this album coming out, it was expected to sell, like, 6,000 copies. Mm hmm. And it got relatively decent scores. This wasn't like uh, no one could appreciate it for yeah. twenty years. It got like B's, like eighties, eighty two. Was like, any do you know decent if, reviews? Do you know if any of the songs are featured in movies at all? In movies, I don't think so. Because I can Colin really see nineteen forty five was the only single. Oh, okay, but like the arcade fire guy is covered several of these songs in concert apparently fish covered in the airplane over the sea at one point in time yeah but i I could totally hear in the airplane over the sea the song as like either end credits or like a scene and like in like a a focus features yeah yeah film or something i'm sure i could see that yeah Yeah. (laughs) i think within the right circles it was a big deal yeah you know for like people of that time period who were following like merge records and knew all the new sub pop releases like this record was huge in that little world kind of thing. But yeah, mm-hmm. it wasn't like everybody knew about it. Yeah, and it's just continued to sell more copies over time. Oh, sure. So not like it's... Well, it's like new generations Every couple of years, it. it's in like the top albums of the year mm-hmm. for selling just because it's also one of those ones that's weird enough that like I sought out buying this on vinyl. Um, yeah, I bought this at Satellite on vinyl. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I want to own this weird album. And there's very few albums that I ever feel strongly enough that I want a physical copy of. And I was like, this one, I think I want a physical copy of. Yeah. I mean, I restocked that album like every other week at Satellite. <laughs> yeah. And it just would always sell. Totally. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think what, what was really interesting about after this album came out, right? Decent uh, reviews and then... Not really any follow-up to it. Uh, Jeff Mangum kind of just didn't want to do anything with it. And I had read that they got an offer to open for R.E.M. on tour. Makes sense. And the rest of the band was in, and he was like, no. Yeah. And then people like to romanticize the end of the last song, Two-Headed Boy Part 2. They do like the one moment of, of concept album work on this thing where you can hear him set down the guitar and stand up and leave. Everyone's like, and that's what he did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was, I was reading he, that. He dropped this and like, like mic drop on the world and yeah. then just does covers of his own songs now. Because he didn't play live again until what, like 2010, something yeah, like that? Yeah, there were like long stretches of time from what I've read mm-hmm. where like he just would not, he didn't perform live. And then like Neutral Milk Hotel put out another album in like 2011, but it was all like, stuff that they had written. I don't know if it was recorded mm-hmm. in the 90s or if it was, like, stuff they wrote in the 90s and then recorded in, like, 2011. But, yeah, and then, like, basically, like, that's it. Like, that's all they did. Mm-hmm. Played, like, a couple shows some like, festivals and stuff like that, yeah. Um, so I used to do a lot of the booking at the Strut here in town. And during that time period, I did the Elephant Sticks Holiday Surprise Tour, 
which mm-hmm. was like a lot of the original guys from the Elephant Six Collective, so people like played on the Neutral Milk album and a bunch of the other bands and everything, and just like the entire process of promoting that was people like, is Jeff Mangum going to be there? Or, <laughs> more, or more commonly, is Jeff Magnum going to be at the show? <laughs> was like, uh, yes. no, he Jeff probably Magnum. won't, but you should buy a ticket and see if he shows up. <laughs> You're like, I'll never tell, yeah. wink. It's I'm a, not saying he will be, wink. Yeah. It's a maybe. <laughs> I've been instructed to neither confirm nor deny yeah. if Jeff Magnum will be there. Nope. And he, he did not Jeff show up. Jeff Magnum never heard of him. Yeah. Yeah, there was some, like some shows in the tour where he would just like surprise people and come up and play a song. So it's like there was a chance, but he wasn't coming up to Michigan. Like, no, right? <laughs> the show still sold out. It was great, and that that's like another thing is there's a. It's cool when people use this album to get into other stuff related to it because there's a lot of other like equally important records from Elephant Six that like never got quite as big. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like Olivia Tremor Control had some great stuff. Ladybug Transistor, Circulatory System, Hawk and a Hacksaw. Um, there's a whole world of interesting music to get into for people that have only heard this record and want to dive deeper. Awesome. Well, with that, I think we're going to leave you one more clip and head on to something new. Yeah. Which I know Nick is just, ex- he's mm. just ecstatic. <laughs> um, Overflowing with vigor and excitement. I, I am torn on what song to leave you all with but i think i'm gonna end the episode with the end of two-headed boy with him setting the guitar down okay so let's <laughs> just so you know <laughs> let's well let's do this then if we're gonna listen to the end of two-headed boy part two at the end let's listen to two-headed boy to send this one out uh, the song that uh, got me into this there. album we'll be able to figure out the reprise yeah. when it reprises um and then if you want to listen to the hits uh holland's 1945 is the single um it's pretty fun it's about Anne Frank like a lot of it's about Anne Frank if you think I wonder if this line about a girl uh hiding from the Nazis is about Anne Frank it is (laughs) if you're wondering I wonder if this line about a girl that the singer's in love with is about Anne Frank it is uh so here's Two-Headed Boy by Neutral Milk Hotel so Andrew as is customary Mm -hmm. You have to give us an arbitrary rating that doesn't mm-hmm. mean anything or matter, but is also the most important rating you've ever given in your entire life. Gotcha. <laughs> the stakes uh, have never been higher. I will give this album um, 1,945 carrot flowers out of 1,950. What are... Ca- what are you... Is that a reference to the album that is has gone over my head? Yes. Okay, cool. I accept that. So, Nick, it's your turn for something <laughs> new. What did you bring for us? What what hit? What industry bombshell? What modern mangum opus? <laughs> oh, I hate you for that. That's the worst thing I've ever heard. Oh, no, that's inspired. <laughs> uh, what, what have you got for us today? As also is customary for the show, I have brought in a new album that none of us like very much. <laughs> Whoa, I haven't said that out loud yet. Uh, okay, so I am bringing in today the 77 minute and 23 second. It's so fucking long. It is just. It is. Some might say too long. It Maybe. is too long. Maybe even everybody would say too long. I'm going to get pessimistic <laughs> about that in a moment. But yes. <laughs> 
It is the apparently debut studio album by yeah, everything else. Chance the Rapper called The Big Day. Everything else was a mixtape or something. What qu- mm. what qualifies something as a mixtape versus a studio album? Well, when it's I don't over, understand. When it's over 75 minutes. Uh. I guess. I guess. Like, if, if something is over 70 minutes, like, like, shit, man, that better be, like, I can't so think of... So here's how it works. Here's, uh. how, here's how it works. Um, at... So basically, you roll a D100. Okay. Okay. All right. And if it's below 15 minutes, only one and two are album, uh, and the rest count as as uh, mixtape. When you, when you get to half an hour, it's up to one through 25 are album, and the rest are mixtape. And then around 45, you're like 75 of the numbers. So at 75 minutes is about where... That's about where you end up with like only a, only a one hundred, only a crit on that is a mix. <laughs> Makes tape. it an album. Yeah, you've uh, you've encapsulated my favorite part of Dungeons and Dragons: uh, memorizing memorizing tables. sequences of numbers and what yes. they all mean. Loot tables, my favorite part. Uh, so this album, this is like the first thing that uh, this is apparently his first studio album. Uh, the, his other. Uh, mixtapes we've talked about on the show. We talked about talked Coloring about. Book on mm-hmm. our live show. We liked Coloring Book a lot. I thought it was pretty yeah. good. Chance the Rapper, I, I felt very good about going into this album. Totally. Like, I was I was very ready to like this album. Exactly. And, and I was like, oh. I mean, we're relatively close to Chicago, and like he's from Chicago. He talks about Chicago. Yeah. Chicago yeah. loves Chance the Rapper. We're like in that, you know, in the uh, like the wake of that that feeling. Well, it's like Chance the Rapper is also one of those artists that, like, very much in the same vein as, like, Childish Gambino and, like, Tyler the Creator are very much in, mm-hmm. in, like, those circles of, I, I guess, like, Midwestern kids in cool towns. Yeah. That, like... He's two months younger than me. Yeah, that's learned. wild. That's so wild. He's, he's a relatively young artist. Yeah. Well, it's like, I mean, he's been... He's I'm been only doing... 14. <laughs> and he's been doing shit for a while. Like, I mean, I remember yeah. the first time I ever heard him was on uh, the Childish Gambino song on Because the Internet. The Worst yeah. Guys. Mm-hmm. That was, like, one of the first times I ever heard about this guy at all. And, yeah, Coloring Book, I really enjoyed. I haven't really heard much of his other stuff. Well, Acid Rap, I think, wasn't on any mainstream streaming service for a long well, time. Well, it was all self-produced, right? I think so, yeah. And then he won... He won an award on Acid Rap that was a big deal, but then he never put it on Spotify or anything, so it was really hard to get your hands on it if you wanted to listen to it. There's been a lot of hype drive, Mm -hmm. uh, which before this, I would have not even thought, like, I would have been like, okay, sure, yeah, when you're good, you can kind of do whatever. You know, if you're Beyonce, you can release an album at midnight on a Thursday and not have told anybody about it and all that, but... I think, and I think that's part of why... This album not being as well received is like what's so difficult about that is that everything was aligned for this to be a smash hit. Yeah, and like if you look at like the re- reviews from like various like magazines and like, well, Pitchfork kind of gave it a six point nine, but like everywhere else kind of <laughs> gave it like a glowing review like all around. Yeah, really, and I, I think. Did we talk about this on the last episode about, like, IGN reviews for video games? I don't know if it was the last episode, but we have touched on the IGN paradigm where, like, the lowest review you can get is a 7.5. 
Yeah. Like that kind of thing. Like basically the idea is like for video games, it's like you can have all of these complaints about like gameplay being shitty, like graphics are bad, the online experience is bad, like loot crates cost a shitload of money and nickel and dime you everywhere. And then they'll be like, Yeah, we give it like a nine nine point six. I'm Adam Sessler. <laughs> yeah, <and> there's <laughs> There's at least 12 distinct footstep sounds in this game. <laughs> that gets you an 8 easy. Oh my god. I don't remember what Adam Sessler sounds like at all, so I don't know <laughs> if that's good or bad. But uh, and, and, and it's just... I, I kind of felt this way about the St. Vincent record, too. Like, from like a year ago when we talked about it. Where everyone that I had seen online talking about it was just talking about how innovative and amazing that this record was. And I was like, "What are, are we listening to the same thing?" Mm-hmm. Um, so b- before we, I guess, dive deeper into it, we should probably play a clip. Uh, this album takes some turns and goes in weird places. It has skits, an obscene number of guests, I don't yeah, know, so like co-contributors or who almost none of them make sense <laughs> as to why they're there. Yeah, let's just let's just give that a quick rundown, real quick. So, in case you're wondering what this is going to sound like. Um, here's the other people featured. You've got John Legend, you've got Death Cab for Cutie, a bunch of people that I don't really know how to pronounce their names. In Vogue? In Vogue. Nicki Minaj. Or Eric Lennox. Hold on, that was wrong. Gucci (laughs) Mane, Shawn Mendes, Randy Newman, (laughs) Lil Durk. So people got... You've got samples from Ocarina of Time. (laughs) You've got a sample of a James Taylor song. You've got, you've got a song by Brandy, like, like they're just in Cinderella, the the Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella is on here. Everyone's here. It's the Taco Town Taco, the gang of albums. It's just throwing a bunch of shit at the wall, and then nothing really sticks all that well. Let's play, let's play the one with Death Cab for Cutie because I remember that song giving me like the most whiplash of just like listening to it, and then. Ben Gibbard, and then it wasn't even credited as Ben Gibbard. Yeah, it's because <laughs> Death Cab for Cutie, which to me is so wild. Because like I don't know, maybe like maybe he was like, and you come up with the instrumentation for the vocal line, and the band did it or something. But like it to me, it just feels like everything's so overproduced. Whatever. Let's let's just listen to it. <laughs> I'll, I'll reserve. Oh wait, 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 wait. It's the second song. No, I know. The, the Bony Vare is on that. Is he in Death Cab? I no. Justin Vernon is. Someone a, tell me that Bony Vare is not in Death Cab. He is a credited writer on this song. Oh huh. yeah, so those were just the performers. If you wanted to go down the list of producers and people who co-song wrote, it's too many people. It's all of the people. <laughs> yeah, man. It's everyone but Kanye. I have a headache now. Do we know, like, how long the recording process or, like, writing process of this album was? That would be interesting. Um, his last album came out three years ago? Yeah, it's been a minute. I, I kind of wondered, little... like, has he been, like, just, like, working on this the whole time? Coloring Book came out in 2016, and he did a Christmas collaboration in 2017. Which, like, the Christmas collaboration was fun. Because it was so, like, half-assed in a really, like, endearing way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I have, yeah, I got a soft spot. Timbaland is on here. Um, <laughs> I've got a soft spot for, for the Christmas fuck-arounds. I think those are always fun. It was fun, so fun, but... yeah. 
Well, yeah. I mean, that was like our live show. We talked about the John Legend. Yeah, when we like, talked the about the horny John Legend Christmas album. When we <laughs> talked about Coloring Book, I talked. He Nick brought in Coloring Book, and I talked about yeah John Legend's Christmas album. And I was like, look, okay, the goal of a Christmas album is to get one song that's on the radio, and John Legend fucking has it. Cause Stevie Wonder's on this track, y'all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he probably paid Stevie Wonder all of the money that he had in his pocket to for like, harmonica just solo. lay down a harmonica solo for like twenty seconds. Yeah. yeah, well, they even got him like on the actual like Netflix special too. Like oh he was God. in the room just shredding that harmonica with him. Oh them. my God! Oh, like, yeah. oh hey, Stevie stop by and he brought his harmonica <laughs> oh man we're getting like a six degrees thing here because we've got john legend is on the first track of this album stevie wonder is featured on that track of john legend's yeah. album stevie wonder featured on the rent cast album uh we're going on the world the world. last song love love heals which is not from rent but is on the rent cast album features a stevie wonder solo yeah uh, we'll get there Stevie features on like way more tracks than people realize he does, and it's always a harmonica. Mm-hmm. Like he's just like chances are if you've heard a harmonica part in a popular song in the last ten years, it was probably Stevie Wonder. Yeah. And he's a great drummer too, but no one's like Stevie Wonder on the drums, everybody. <laughs> it's like Dave but they Roll should on the be. Drums. Yeah. Okay, what are we listening to? Uh, Do you remember by Chance the Rapper featuring Death Cab for Cutie on the album The Big Day? Death Cab for Cutie, ladies and gentlemen. Woo! Which, like, yeah, we talked about, like, why would you say it's Death Cab for Cutie? I mean, it's probably just because, like, the majority of people would know that over just, like, the singer's name. Yeah. And but, this like, was wh- self-published, did... so, like, maybe that had yeah. something to do with it. But then why wouldn't you just call it the Postal Service? Because it's, like, a little <laughs> more accurate, and they had hits. Like, people would know them, too. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> But yeah, like we we were just talking in the break, like I had asked before how long they took to make this record, because it really has the feel like maybe this was a good record like a year and a half ago, and then they just kept fucking around with it yeah. and recording more songs and adding more elements. It's like, well, this song is pretty good, but what if we add like five more songwriters and get like three nonsensical guest mm-hmm. features and then mm-hmm. just ruin it? <laughs> like, it's that scene in the social network and... Justin Timberlake is is actually Timbaland, right? And he's telling Chance, like, he's like, yeah, you've got, that's cool. You know what's cool? 10 songs is cool. You know what's cooler? 22 songs. (laughs) Because 10 streams count as an album equivalent. So if you you listen to this whole uh, album on Spotify, that would count as 2.1 album equivalencies when it comes to (laughs) what this album is worth for revenue and for billboard and that shit. And that's what I meant when I said earlier, I'll get pessimistic about it soon. That's the most depressing thing. 22 tracks. If you play, if you listen to 22 songs, each 10 songs count as an album and a stream itself only counts as like a 10th of a purchase. But at the same time, because it's 22 songs, it's like two point, it's 20, it's like 22% of an album instead of 10% of an album or whatever. It's like, I know annoying. you're, you're like hypothesizing about that, but I'm I not don't saying he doubt. did it for that reason, yeah. but I think you'll see this trend of long albums continue because if you view everything as just, just ba- it's behaviorism, right? If you're getting rewarded for the action, if you make more money when your album's longer, you'll make a longer album. Well, you might not choose it, but you will do it if it's what's helping you. Well, I, in, in his defense, though, I, I have an alternate theory to that. 
he wears a lot of his influences on his sleeve. There's a lot of shout outs for mm-hmm. the stuff he was listening to when he was a kid. And you hear like a lot of 90s references. That was the album like for that time period of music that sure. he's coming from. Yeah. That's all the R and B and hip hop artists in like the late nineties were putting yeah. out fucking triple albums all the time. Oh yeah, Prince mm-hmm. put out like Emancipation or some shit. Okay, yeah. well that makes album. me feel better. But I do still think we will see this as a norm again pretty well, soon. We've seen a lot of new releases we've looked at hit an hour and like and still have three tracks to go. Man, there's there's albums that I love that I wish were shorter. It's just so hard to get through <laughs> an entire record, mm-hmm. you know, like that's yeah. Yeah. Well, I, to to what you were talking about, Andrew, that, like, I don't, again, I don't think that was necessarily going through Chance's mind when releasing this record, but that just sounds like it's such a cynical way of looking at music production, of, like, trying to gamify the system, and, like, if we release, like, you know, it, it, these are, these are like, half-assed tracks, but they're long, and they basically count as two albums, so mm-hmm. therefore we can, like, get more plays off of it. God, that is, like, the most depressing not, thing that I've ever heard. You know, I don't really like this album. There, <laughs> I said it. But I still believe in Chance the Rapper yeah, moving forward. Totally. Even with, especially, like, <clears throat> with what I think will he'll come to view as a misstep. Uh, I think he could learn, grow as an artist, but... There are for sure aging out artists who are intentionally putting out extra length, extra track albums for those equivalencies um, because production companies know that. Well, it's like and you'll that's see why a lot of short 30 second tracks as interstitial things in an artist that never would have done that before. And I think that does have something to do with it hmm. in the industry as a whole. Well, that's why movies are like two and a half hours long now. It's, it's this desire for like content. Mm-hmm. You look at like the guest features, and it's like, oh shit, John Legend, Death Cab for Cutie, and Vogue is on here. Like, on paper, you would think, like, oh my god, the gang's all here, everyone's here, like everyone's featured, and it's it's not it's it's not very good. Mm-mm. But it's like on paper, it's like you'd think, oh, seventy seven minutes more content equals better. So it's like all the Mar- yeah. Marvel movies are all two and a half hours long, and you don't think you that- lump in the Marvel movies with this album. <laughs> well, it's like- I'm not gonna sit here and have you lump in the Marvel movies <laughs> with this album. Well, it's the it's the idea that longer equals better content. Yeah. yeah, and I feel like a lot of those movies, which I would probably watch and enjoy, but I would also watch them and think. You probably could have shaved off at least like 15 to 30 minutes on these things. This album is Abed's movie from season four of Community. The Gas Leak Year? The Gas Leak Year. Abed is making a film about, about something, and everyone views him as this cult leader, and he ends up becoming Jesus, essentially, and... Uh, just keeps adding things and adding things until it's terrible, and then he just burns the whole thing down. And it's like, what if you got to that last step and then released it? <laughs> or maybe this is like season four of Community, where like the cast of characters is all the same, but the showrunner's gone, and it doesn't have the same heart and spirit that it did previously on like Coloring Book and Acid Rap. I just watched the producers. Maybe it's like that, where he's like, if you fe- <laughs> if you feature on this, you can own twenty percent of the album. And then he accidentally overbooked it, and so he tried to make it really bad, so it flopped, so that no one would have to get their money back. That's got to be it. 
<laughs> we figured it out. You're welcome. Chance the Rapper, I Want to Be a Producer. <laughs> What's the song on this album that's about, like, side chicks? Oh. Because um, I remember th- hearing that one and not being super stoked about it. And it was just kind of like this weird, like, surface level... Uh, I saw some tweet about this album that was Eternal. like... Eternal. It's the third song. It's the next one. I saw some tweet about this record that was just like, the only people who like this record are like... Youth pastors who occasionally swear sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think it's like these empty sort of platitudes, I feel like, that are talked about that it's like fake deep sounding shit. The thing is, though, I, I feel like I got some of that from some of these songs, especially the one we just listened to with Death Cab. It's like, you know, here, the, here's the thing. It's like, remember how summer used to be so great when you were a kid and now the world's complicated and weird yeah. and everything. But then this next song is like, Straight up, side chicks don't know how to cook grits. Side <laughs> chicks don't know how... Yeah, it's like... It, it is it is schoolyard rap, which, to me, that just left me so confused. Because I was like, yeah. I thought I knew what we were doing here, and I don't. But sometimes I'd be like, oh, that's cool, it's different, it's great. And in this case, I was like, I don't know what the fuck this album is. It's so corny. It's yeah. corny and cheeseball a lot. And it, and it kind of goes back to that theory of it was recorded over a long period of time, because, yeah, it seems like... Even the the content is from like very different time periods of his mm-hmm. life. Like the emotions are just all over the place, and it makes you like not connect with any of it. And it, part of that, it's you know, it's the emotion, the production. Also, the songs sound really different, which isn't an inherently bad thing, but that makes it all feel kind of disjointed to me. It's like yeah. do an album in a year. You have eight tracks. Do it in a year. You only get one person to join you on it. That's what I want to hear. I want to hear You know, there's, there's some musicians that are great at that, like, record over a long period of time and spend weeks on, like, one drum hit and stuff. And mm-hmm. that's just how they make a good record. And, like, some people are not. And it, I think we're gathering that maybe Chance is not that. I mean, yeah. maybe he could be. Maybe <laughs> exactly. the next record is going to be fired. Like, I'm, I'm on board for young. the next one, you know? Like, like, I don't think this is the end of Chance <clears throat> the Rapper. No, but it is like, not. this isn't the... Mangum opus we were hoping for. Just gonna beat that one in the ground, aren't you? Oh man, you were I'm really <laughs> just beating that joke into the ground. <laughs> It'll get funny again. I said it twice. We gotta get it one hey, more we're time. All laughing. Before before the end of the show, you have to make that okay. joke a third time, right. and then Jeff Mangum will show up, uh-huh. Beetlejuice style. Uh, uh, there, there's some interesting contrast with what you're just talking about. The like the like summer nostalgia records. So like we were just talking about the neutral milk thing, how like you don't know what they're talking about, but it's extremely emotionally affecting. Whereas mm-hmm. like a lot of this record, you know exactly what it's talking about and <laughs> you don't fucking care. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's that thing. And that's, that is, we find, you find that in art and in visual. It's very, there's a really easy way of explaining it visually where it's like, you look at a stick figure and you can associate with the stick figure pretty well because you can fill in all that you uh, unconsciously <laughs> fill in all the details yeah. and then there's the uncanny valley of like oh it's God. creepy and then when something is completely realistic you actually relate to it way less because it looks like you know a drawing of a, a portrait of a person that's really realistic looks like another person you relate to it the least of all of that and yeah. this is almost that where it's like I know exactly what Chance the Rapper loved about Summer when he was a kid <laughs> <laughs> and like cool yeah. did he talk about GameCube at all because if he didn't man that sucks because that was like I don't know if he talked about GameCube. He he. I mean, there's Navi 
in Ocarina of yeah, Time is on true. this album, so he mentions video games for sure. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's. I don't really want to play much more of this record. I feel like we've kind of sussed out really what's going on. Give us one more. Yeah. Uh, here's Eternal featuring Smino. Oh, not Ball and Flossin? Is that a song? I don't know <laughs> if I got that far. I don't know if I got that far. Yeah, did either of you guys listen to this record all the way through? Like, how much of this have you sat down with? Oh. I tell you what I didn't listen to. I didn't listen to the Randy Newman song. I did. Should we listen, should we listen to the Randy Newman song? Okay, I, I've listened to this album all the way through, like, four times. Oh, my. And if, if I wasn't on this podcast, I wouldn't have made it past track three. What do you think we should listen to? I don't know. I, f- I, I feel like, like we need to pay you money. I feel like every track, yeah, I, we imme- owe you. I immediately, like, forgot every track after it was done. Mm. That's just, like, mostly how I felt about this record. Like, that's, like, why I kept listening to it. I was like, I gotta know something about this, and the record <laughs> is just, like, here. flowing right through me. Like, nothing is sticking from this album. Like, I, I feel like I had something of, like, an existential crisis listening to this album. <laughs> I was like, is this just what music is now to me? Am, am I at that age now where I only listen to older shit that I like, and then new stuff just kind of, like, flows through me, and I just... I'm laying oh my in a God. river and it just goes around me and like I experience it, but then am I out of touch or is Chance the Rapper wrong? Yeah, no, which it's is what gotta I... be Chance the Rapper. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't be me. <laughs> I like new stuff. I promise. Let's listen to the Randy Newman song because I haven't heard it. Yeah, let's all experience other than Sean the Randy Newman <laughs> five year plan. Okay, the number five, by the way, for. Yes. No particular reason, as far as I can tell. With Randall Newman himself, short people got no reason to live. Uh, it's, Randy's actually short for your Randy. <laughs> Great. All right, here is Five Year Plan featuring Randy Newman by Chance the Rapper on the album The Big Day. An album about his wife, I guess. What is going on in this song with Randy Newman. Yeah, I, yeah guys, I gotta go. This uh. is, okay, so this is, I guess, this is this is a good way to, to get to, like, my ultimate feelings about this record, is that it just feels like empty positivity that, like, doesn't mean anything. And I think I've, I've seen a lot of fans of his that kind of are, are into that, and I think that's why it's gotten such rave reviews, despite being a record that's, like, ultimately very forgettable and not that interesting. Is this just like endless, regardless of what's going on? If like your positivity. target market is the Chicago suburbs, and then specifically the ones who are gonna buy the most albums are the wealthier ones, it turns out rich white college aged kids like to be told just be happy, everything's great. <laughs> and they're like, oh wow, you're right, everything is great. And all of these people who are upset about things are annoying me because they could just be happy <laughs> like I am. And there's your fucking album. It's yeah, maybe. It's, it just seems so hollow. I'm, I'm pretty pessimistic. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it just seems really hollow and empty and like surface level. And also like whatever effect that they're doing on Randy's voice, like he's bouncing back and forth and like left and oh, right yeah, and stereo. It's bad. I why, hate it. Why would you? Okay, you have Randy Newman. Like, living legend, guy who wrote the Toy Story music, Randy Newman. <laughs> the legend only for that reason. And short people. And Mr. short people. Mr. Toy Story himself. Who you probably have did a friend nothing in him. before that. The friend in all of us, Randy Newman, is on this song. Randrew Newman. And you're just like, none, I know what we're going to do with his voice. We're going to make it like, bow, wow, wow, bow, wow, wow, bow, wow, and bounce back and forth in your left and right ear. And just be like the the most weird, 
like orally arresting thing that you can listen to. And you wouldn't have known that that was Randy Newman if you didn't like see that he was guesting on it. If the first time I heard that, I would have stopped it and been like, what the fuck is this? And saw that it featured Randy Newman and be like, why? I must be dreaming. Does that say more about Randy Newman or Chance the Rapper at this point? I don't know. So, so Nick, it is uh, customary on the show to give an album uh, an arbitrary number scale rating. I do. I real quick though, I do want to like jump in and like kind of defend this record a little bit. Like, I did not like this record, but I really left it getting the vibe that I I feel like this is still the record that Chance wanted to make. Well, that's good. Yeah, I, I don't think he made this for anybody but himself. I think mm-hmm. this is what he wanted to do. Maybe it wasn't quite executed the way that was in his head. Like, maybe it's a little too long. Maybe the original concept was better. I don't know. But, like, I'm not, like, mad at Chance for making this record. Mm -hmm. And, like, I really hope that there's a lot of people that are, like, thoroughly enjoying it. I just feel like a lot of his original fans aren't going to dig it. And, like, obviously we didn't dig it. But, like, if it speaks to you, like, awesome. Like, it's just for somebody else, you know? Wow. Well, there, there, uh, it was another episode that we did. <laughs> Andrew, Thank you for being positive. <laughs> Andrew, Nick you weren't on this one. But we, w- the episode that we talked with um, Naji and Luis. Oh, yeah, I, about I, the... Solange record. Mm-hmm. Um, she, uh, when, I, when I Get Home, the Solange record, which was like a very specific record about like Houston, Texas. Je- Jeff had a really... It was Jeff, right? He was like, clearly this album is not for me, so I don't think that I should... I might the one. Eat one of us said that, but yeah, that was that was like the general. Yeah, but that that was like how I felt about that. It was like I can't really, and it's like you know what this album is like an album about his his wedding and his wife and his kid, and it's obviously like very important and meaningful to him, and it sounds like he wanted to write an album that expresses his genuine feelings about that, and it just sounds like he got lost in the plot, like over his own like pers- his his own uh this this hype machine around him and i'm wondering if he just felt compelled to again just throw everything that he had at it and throw it all against the wall and just like yeah, yeah. you know you know this album for my wife that's like this really specific and important thing in my life let's have death cab for cutie on this and randy newman and just like i think he's trying to appeal to like fans who will see all of these features Mm-hmm. And think that it's like, oh my god, everyone's on this record. And it's like the most important thing ever because he thinks it's the most important thing ever. You said ever. earlier, right, Sean? Gang's all here? Or was that you? God damn it. <laughs> you, said it you said it, Nick. And then I did a SpongeBob, I mimed oh, a SpongeBob yeah. reference at Sean <laughs> oh, that's when exa- you said that. That's exactly what I was referencing. It was great, yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot of like two long records that I feel like there's a good album in there if you just cut out half the songs. I don't feel that way about this record, but I feel like. There's a good record if you'd have, like pulled up earlier versions of the songs. Like yeah. a lot of the if a lot of the features were gone, those songs would be good. Like the songs don't even feel like the feature collaborated on the creation. It's almost like the song was done and then they added another two minutes to the song so that someone <laughs> could have a feature on it and that yeah. ruins the whole vibe. There's a metric <clears throat> that I'm interested in now after this album, which is producers per track. Yeah. And I think the PPT on this album is way too high because the PPT is too like damn high. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four people credited with production. 
on this album. Wow. Which is two more than the songs. So honestly, not that crazy, except that at that point, a lot of those are bigger name people. I don't think they're working on multiple tracks, a lot of them. And so you end up with like, hey, you've got a spot on Chance the Rapper's album, which is going to be big. And then, but you you only work on one song, and then you overwork that song, and then you, you sort of see that happen a lot. Although a lot of producers on hip-hop records is not necessarily uncommon, because a lot of the times it's like someone has a bunch of beats, the MC picks mm-hmm. out a beat they want, and then they expand on it from there. So it mm-hmm. might just be like, you know, one producer per track. Sure. But this, I mean, even, even if that's the case, this does just feel like too many cooks in the kitchen on a yeah. lot of it. Yeah, it's not really cohesive at all. There's not like a cohesive, yeah. like, through line other than his wedding and his wife and even then like we talked earlier like there's just weird dissonance between talking about that and then like other people that he's been with or eh. and that was the other thing too like finishing listening to this record i I didn't like it but i almost felt bad about not liking it because so much of it especially the second half of the record is about like how genuinely happy he is yeah. And like how his life is great and he's turned around and he's overcome a lot of this stuff. And I'm it feels just like, very honest. Yeah. It's like, I feel like, like, I don't want to be like, just like the white guy, like trashing <laughs> on this person of color who's happy and making a record about being happy. Cause also like in the hip hop world, it's, it's pretty uncommon for people to make super positive records. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that's, I don't know, it's like, you know, not masculine or like, you can't like let that part of yourself out, you know, and be respected kind of thing. So it's like, I encourage and like I'm really excited about a lot of the elements of this record. I just can't get behind the end yeah. result. Maybe this record is the in the aeroplane over the sea, where like we just have to let go of our cynical irony and uh-huh. and like we just gotta let it all down. And then in a few years, we're gonna hear this at a coffee shop. Be like, oh man, maybe that chance to rap or record wasn't. Wasn't too bad. I'm going to bet you money that that's not the case. <laughs> Maybe he's the fan go. Oh my. Positive RNB. I don't know, because I felt that way about Coloring Book. Because a lot of people hated Coloring Book. A lot of people were like, oh, it's not acid rap. It's not as weird anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got big name features on it. Like, he yeah. sold out. This sucks. And I was like, but it's an awesome record. Yeah. Like, it just, it worked. Like, it flowed really well. Like, mm-hmm. The features added to the song, and it felt like, you know, they were just adding a little bit on top of an already, like, perfect song, where it's like, like we said, the features don't make sense on this. The whole Mm -hmm. album doesn't make sense. It's too long. Like, it it doesn't have the same level of soul, too. And there's weird stuff where, like, the, like, some of these features feel like they're stand-ins for, like, soul sample, but it's like, no, but I just got someone to do that, though. And it's like, and well, like then it very loses few of them are soulful, though. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. I mean, like, John Legend, but, like, the John Legend stuff just sounds kind of contrived. Like, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Great record. <laughs> Nine out of ten. Let's, uh, my arbitrary rating, I guess, is 77. Out of four. 77 out of... 6.9%. 6.9%. 6. I don't even know. 70, 70, it's like 70, uh, it's like 77 minutes too long. That's maybe, rating. That's, that's basically like a zero, isn't it? Shit. Minute. Yeah, it is. No, so I don't know. Zero of those okay. minutes needed to be there. I'll, I'll give this. I'll give it this. I think some of the, the beats are actually decent. I think some of like the musical elements of it are not that bad. And I think what really makes this record like just not memorable is... Again, lyrically, it's like very, it's very corny and and seemingly like 
overly positive where it's like I think with any other rapper it could have been much more interesting but it's too clogged there's too many features mm-hmm. there's too many it's it's throwing too much at the wall at once and it doesn't really hit the mark and like I feel I do feel bad for saying that because Chance has gone on Twitter and talked about it and like been like not super stoked about some of the negative responses that the record has gotten and that sucks a lot especially for someone who is seemingly positive and like pretty happy with this record so it's it's really hard to be hard on it but also i don't see myself like listening to this anymore. give it a my wife out of i love my wife oh very good i'll give it a my wife out of i love my wife i hate myself <laughs> amazing we're gonna take a short break and we'll yes. be right back with uh, a, a hip-hop record that's good oh oh <laughs> oh no she's not leaving anything to the imagination with that Oh, no anticipation. No. We'll be right we back. like the next record. And we are back from our extended break. You can tell that by the way that we are. <laughs> you can tell because you can't hear the air conditioner. <laughs> so, the something borrowed section of the show. I feel like we don't explain the premise of the show enough. So we talk about something old <laughs> and then something new. Yeah. Right now we're going into something borrowed. Yeah. And then we might crack a beer and talk about something brewed. Ooh. Very smooth. Nice. Uh, so, the, bar, the Something Borrowed section is the section of the show where we talk to our guest and have them bring <laughs> We've on... We've been ignoring our guest <laughs> <Yeah>. so far. <laughs> that's, just, that, that's just been Andrew and I both projecting our voice somewhere else. It's every time you can hear Sean, it's because Nick had to, like, in post mute me talking over him. <laughs> If you listen real closely, you can hear me in the background shouting about Borat. <laughs> uh, so, uh, as per tradition of the show, something borrowed, uh, our guest Sean has brought in an album that is <laughs> what I feel like the antithesis to the Chance album that we just talked about. Sean, what did you bring in? So, has anybody brought in a borrowed record that they didn't like? Or is that only for the new releases that you guys just trash on them? I don't uh, think we've had like lukewarm feelings because okay. a lot of people bring in like the new thing that they're listening to and haven't decided if they love it or uh, okay yeah yeah I was kind of back and forth on that like should I do something new or should I do like an album that's like been with me a long time mm-hmm. or and then it was also like which album is gonna make me look the coolest you know <laughs> like, I think that's what we get the most <laughs> it's it's split between something newish that people are into. Um, and something that people love, but they're pretty sure people don't know about. Yeah, totally. Like, that's that's what Jared Selner did for his episode of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, the one with the four saxophones? Yeah, yeah. He, was, he was going for the, like, yeah, the, no one's heard this, and also I know one of the guys in this band. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Called out, Jared. I got his number. <laughs> Forgot about that one. Yeah. I remember playing that. I was at a party before I was recording that day. I don't remember how that worked out, but <laughs> but I was like, oh, I need to listen to a couple more tracks off this album before I leave, so I turned it on, and it's just like four saxophones playing a, oh, like a, like a canon call and response thing, yeah. and I was like, huh, well, I'm not going to figure this out. <laughs> I can't solve this one. Uh, yeah, I, that, is, that is an interesting Friend way Friend of the show, Jared Seller. Yes. But, that is that is wild to think about. Like, if, if I were to be a guest on this show, like, what album would I bring in, or like, what would be like the album that I would bring in that would make me seem the most coolest mm-hmm. or like 
area dieter, so yeah. smart. He's like, oh, yeah, this thing that you've never heard of that's amazing, here you go. Sean, if you were a guest on the show, what album would you bring <laughs> in? See, I opted for the I'm 30 and I still like new music. So, Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> bold, very bold. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I have uh, the brand new released on uh, June 28th, Year of Our Lord 2019. Yes. <laughs> uh, Bandana by Freddie Gibbs and Mad Lib. Um, I love it. But I mean, like, I'm also like super biased. Like, one of those records where it's like I knew I was gonna love it, and I listened to it, and like two tracks in it was like this like favorite album of the year, you mm-hmm. know. But I've I've been trying to like replay it a ton to see if it like was just that like first listen wanting to like it, and honestly, I kind of like it more. Like the more I get into it, cool. Um, so yeah, this this is the follow up to their collaboration from 2014 called Pinata which I also really, really liked. Um, I hadn't heard Freddie Gibbs at all before Pinata, but he's like super prolific MC that's like getting more and more hyped all the time because he just like doesn't put out bad albums and works with everybody. It's, it's kind of crazy how good he is. Like, mm-hmm. um, well, yeah, yeah, I've heard of both of these names before and had never really listened <clears throat> to like their work, but I knew Freddie Gibbs and I knew the name Madlib. But I guess I I've never really heard anything that they've done prior, like their history of okay. like stuff that they've done. Um, Madlib is like far and away my favorite hip hop producer and like one of my favorite musicians ever. Um, he's been doing tons and tons of good music since the '90s. Um, the Mad Villain album that he did with MF Doom is like often considered like one of like the all time hip hop classics, modern classics, or just like in general, like you see that in a lot of top 10 lists for hip hop records. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, there was some people were like initially a little bit confused by this pairing because stylistically it's not something that Madlib has always done. Like he's always been kind of more in like the abstract um, kind of more like thought provoking and strange hip hop and hasn't done a lot of collaborations with more like harder edge stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. so like it was kind of interesting for him to like be making beats for someone who's like, you know, constantly just like rapping about like selling drugs in Gary, Indiana and stuff. And like, (laughs) but like in a very convincing way, like, you know, you listen to a lot of like harder rap stuff and it's like, okay, like, maybe you did this a long time ago, but like, you're just trying to like keep that image up But with like Freddie Gibbs. Like, you know, he'll be like, yeah, I just got done selling Coke. And then I hit the studio. I was like, yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> That's the, when you say something loud enough and frequently enough, people go from like believing you to think like, huh, why, why do you keep, re- why do you keep saying that? over And, over again? <laughs> and then, yeah, the, the whole, like, the, <laughs> yes, I did just sell a bunch of cocaine. Here's the verse. And you're like, huh? okay yeah and you know it's real because the next song he's like rapping about potty training his daughter it's like you are just like straight up telling us what's in your life right now it's like there's no lies here (laughs) you dropped your kid off at school and you drove in you're like here's what's the fuck up right now (laughs) uh this is such a perfect like just diametrically opposed record to the chance record yeah definitely that's like authentic but not in like a manufactured sounding way like already looking at like the number of writers it's like it's so small 
It is so small in comparison. Well, Madlib produced every single track on the record. It's basically just the two of them and then, like, some other people who were, like, kind of involved. But they really, like, had every say on, like, what happened with this record. Yeah, like, I was thinking about that a lot. Like, the amount of parallels that are, like, polar opposites between this and the Chance record is kind of astounding. Yeah, like, too many producers on the Chance record. One producer on this record. Like, Mm -hmm. features that make no sense and take away from the songs. Every feature on this album just kills. Like, like one all, of the, it's one like of, a called shot. It's yeah, like, <laughs> one of the best like features for this record. Like every feature is so good; they all fit perfectly. Like the level of talent and like the some newer guys and some older guys. It's perfect on this record. Um, the length is perfect. It's forty five minutes, and it feels like it's twenty five minutes. Mm-hmm. Like everything about it. Well, let's let's throw a clip in. Let's uh before we go too too far. Uh let's throw a clip of a song that I don't know, it could be anything. It's up to you. Uh yeah. Uh let's start with uh Flat Tummy T. That was one of the singles off it. Alright, here is Flat Tummy T on the album Bandana by Freddie Gibbs and Madlib. So just my my initial reaction to this is that already it I, I again I can't help but compare it to the chance record. But it's like it just already feels so much more like mature and real. And not necessarily because it's like probably talking about like heavier subject matter or is like thematically darker. Not that like you have to have those things to be considered real. But in this case, holy shit, it feels so much more real and authentic and lived in than like the the other thing mm-hmm. definitely yeah and the, a couple other parallels i just thought of like um there there was in 2016 madlib did one of the red bull music academy videos and uh, they talked a little bit about this record that was like the first time this album was publicly announced and they addressed a rumor that there was a picture flying around of kanye with some <laughs> like madlib uh beat cds and they asked him about it and he basically said that like he had sent Kanye some beats and Kanye took too long to do anything with it. So then he just sent the same stuff to Freddie and Freddie rapped over everything. And he was like, yeah, we're just going to pull for that and make this record <laughs> called Bandana. But it's crazy because it was like five full CDs of beats. And apparently Freddie like did verses for all five of those discs. And then they edited it down to like the 45 minutes of material that's on here. So like... You know, the other, like, the Chance record, we felt like it was just too long and needed editing. And this album, they, like, apparently have their editing game on point. Because, like, they knew how to pull from that much material to make one record. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and just having that sort of intuition and knowing what's, what's, like, the A material and what's, you know, this is good, but not as good as this other thing. It can kind of be left on the cutting room floor. It's a, it's a business meeting technique. There's the th- you, you put everything out there, and then you either get rid of it, shelve it for later, or you, you're, you're good to send it through. And being able to do that, because that's probably how you get four songs right away, right? You're like, these four are the anchor songs of this album. These ones have something going. We'll see what it's now. Maybe yeah. redo a verse, work on production, fill it out. And then the other ones, you don't waste your time trying to salvage and make a 27 and it doesn't Track feel song. like there's a lot of like post editing or like fucking around. Like and when you when you go through it, like the album just has this real like effortless feel, especially on Freddie's end. I mean, there's like tracks like there's one at the end where at the end of the track, like 
he's getting a phone call and you hear mm-hmm. like on the mic like he just finished a verse and he's like oh someone's calling me fuck we put my phone on airplane mode and then just like goes to the next track it just like shows <laughs> you like yeah like i wonder how much this album is like one take from freddie because it feels like most of the record is and it's like perfect like that so i i i think that one thing this album has very in common with the chance the rapper album is i think this is exactly the album that they wanted to make yeah mm. this is i think this is exactly what it's supposed to be that being said, there are a couple production moments where I just did, I didn't love a couple of the songs, and part of that was where things are one take. Sometimes it, it w- these things would happen where uh, f- there'd be this back phrasing that, with the way that the the beat was produced, just kind of gave everything this really dragging feel, mm-hmm. which. For better or worse, and I'm not saying it should or shouldn't be, could just just kind of would pull me out of songs every now and then. Yeah. But I don't like it's that thing where it's like, yeah, I think this is exactly what it's supposed to be. Generally, I was enjoying what was happening, and I was like, that's interesting. I bet a bunch of other people really like that, and it's just not what I'm looking for right now. Sure. Yeah. Uh, listening to this intently, that kind of thing. And a lot of Madlib's thing has always been making stuff that's kind of challenging, and like. Um, you know, some of the tracks on here have a little bit more of like a, like a more accessible hip hop feel where like, you know, like the bass track is, is good. And like the snares are loud and hard hitting, you know where it's at. And then there's other tracks where like the drums aren't doubled up at all. It's just like loop samples and like the snares aren't really there. And it kind of has this weird, like kind of meandering feel to the beats. It's like very experimental at times. There's specific vocal line that happens like hard rhythmic on the beat and then is brought back like a half beat behind for the next four measures. And for a second, I'm like, Oh wow. Bold choice. But then it kept going. I was like, yeah, I don't know. But like, (laughs) that is a bold choice right there, but I'm not sure. I kept waiting for like the skip right back on, but it's just went through. I mean that, that kind of stuff is almost always intentional. That's kind of always been Mad Libs thing is like, yeah, like beats that don't, like loops that aren't perfect and like beats that mm-hmm. don't always line up or maybe they line up at points and then fall back out yeah. and everything. And yeah, it's, it's, it's challenging at times. Yeah. It's cool. <laughs> it was Matt was mad lib. That guy who was drumming seven 11 on seven 11 out of seven 11. All right. Oh, never mind. <laughs> Guess that, not. That meme is dead. It's not, it's not a meme. It's a thing that happened in the real world. Oh, but I saw it posted on Facebook. So that means it's a meme. <laughs> I sound like a. Uh, <laughs> it's like it's a thing that a person did once. Like, yeah, but a bunch of people shared it, so I mean, <laughs> it's a meme now. I'm sorry. Okay. All right. One more comparison to the Chance record, and then we're done. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, a lot of the Chance songs like drastically shift vibes halfway through, and it makes no sense, and it's really off-putting. A lot of the songs on this record do it, and it's interesting every time. Mm-hmm. That's all I got. Nice. You want to <laughs> drop one more clip before we send this one home to the brood section? Um, yeah. So we talked about like how good the features were on here. I mean, I think every feature is amazing. Uh, specifically, though, the Black Thought verse towards the end of the album, I think, is probably like one of the highlights on the record. Yeah, I was gonna say we talked about this a little bit before you got here, Andrew. But you mentioned Black Thought, and like I love the Roots. And uh, how I got over is like maybe one of my favorite records of all time. So like anything Black Thought does, like that dude is great. That's really yeah. all I have to say about that. <laughs> so yeah, 
So that's uh, the track is called Education's track 14 on the album, and it's also after the uh, Yasin Bey formerly Mos Def feature, which is again also great. All right, so here is Education featuring Yasin Bey and Black Thought on the album Bandana by Freddie Gibbs and Madlib. I think it's crazy how much different Freddie sounds than the other Gibbs brothers. <laughs> Come on, I, not, not the first person to make that joke, yeah. <laughs> Come on. Oh. Where's the Bee Gees feature on this record? Like, <laughs> that's what I That's what I fucking want. No, he, they were on the Chance album. Yeah, exactly. He went to the wrong he studio. Would do that, I would, he would do that. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> Living it up on the nice... In Chicago, we're hanging out with my wife, who's cool. Lost is pretty good. I'm in season two. <laughs> I, that's what that, that sounds, album feels like to me. That sounds like such a real chance. The rapper line, though. Oh no! <laughs> season three is clearly the best season of Lost. Though. I mean, if we're ta- if we're being honest right now. Um. So, so yeah. Go ahead. Nah, I was gonna say this <laughs> is where <laughs> this is where the thing happens where we ask you to give an arbitrary number right of this album. Um, My favorite thing about borrowed albums is we tend to like sit here and be like, "This is great." You know what? I think this is art. Okay. Give me a fucking number. <laughs> yeah, let's yeah, let's find a way to like. You can't quantify art. Do it. <laughs> I mean, nine out of ten. You know, like yeah. I'm sure it could have been better in some ways, and like, it's so tough to like really accurately review something when it's new. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. I've had so many records I thought were amazing, and then six months later, I'm just like, eh, I don't know what I was thinking. Uh-huh. But like, I'm loving it right now. Like, it's. Are you like the um? You're the teacher who doesn't give A pluses. <laughs> Nine out of ten. My highest score until something's ten years old. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> ten out of ten. Fuck it. Oh yeah, wow. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Got it. Bold. Uh, I mean, there's been a handful of reviewers that have said it's the best hip hop album of twenty nineteen. Like it's being sure. critically like very, very lauded. Um the the one story I have about this before we go though, so I pre-ordered this album from uh the label that madlib co-owns now mm-hmm. again records which is like i think probably the first time i've pre-ordered an album from a label mm-hmm. um we can get into the reasons on that later but so there was two options of buying this album on vinyl there was like the 20 dollar standard edition or you could pay 60 bucks to get the standard edition and what they were billing as the madlib director's cut and i was like fuck it i've got the money favorite artist got to figure out what that like yeah limited edition version is and they're like it'll <laughs> never be repressed one time limited thing got it the only difference different cover art different skits between tracks <laughs> nothing else same tracks same track listing same length same production same editing just like different skits in the middle it's like fuck you got me oh, man you guys win <clears throat> whatever <laughs> i spent that much money on uh the deluxe copy of Awaken My Love. And uh, mm-hmm. I think I got my money's worth because that album came with cardboard goggles that you can put your phone in. Yeah, and for the like virtual experience of the album and stuff. Yeah, like I will say it was pretty cool. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I think it's pretty safe to be skeptical of like deluxe albums, shit like that. Yeah. I don't know. They Gimmicks. get you. I bought the deluxe edition of No Man's Sky. (laughs) 
Yeah. All right. Welcome to the last segment of the show, <laughs> Something Brewed, where uh, today we're talking about grapefruit, <laughs> grapefruit white claw. Ooh, would you look at that? It pours a nice clear, smells of artificial grapefruit. Mm. I love LaCroix. <laughs> I'm not a fan of like hard... Yeah, it's, it's it. We're LaCroix, not actually. Yes, seltzers. No, we're actually talking about a different beer. But I will say that, like, <laughs> I don't know. The, the white claw is the Seinfeld isn't funny trope of all of the other uh, wannabe knockoff like hard seltzers that are just like not your father's, not your mother's, whatever. It's just like one company made it, and now there's just a bajillion different. Oh yeah, it's the yeah. largest growing. It's like the largest growing segment in the beverage industry. <sighs> it's giant. That bubble will never pop. <laughs> Seltzers are going to be bigger than craft beer next summer. That bubble will never pop. So I'm just t- waiting for the time when you can like survive entirely off of seltzer water, like because <laughs> they got like the energy Detroit drink for hydration. Yeah, what's the energy <clears throat> drink one? Oh, I because I'm in the, the I'm in the market for like. A barely sweetened energy drink. It's great. It's there. I mean, all we need is like the fucking like zero sugar protein seltzer, and we're there. <laughs> oh my god, protein oh my god. seltzer! <laughs> it's chunky. What a dis- what a dystopian sounding future we're describing, no, dude. I already mixed my protein powder with Lacroix. Every apartment is just gonna have four. Like, for, like, like hamster, like, water bottle taps that you just go up to, and, like, it's the morning, so you gotta get your, like, protein, like, not, and not I'm dystopian <laughs> enough. It's a soda fountain with room for advertising, of oh. course. So there's the four that you subscribe oh. to, oh, your monthly no. subscription. You can watch Ninja play Fortnite. <laughs> and then the fifth one, you, there's, like, oh, it's a free sample of... Mountain Dew Clear. <laughs> uh, well, it's like I got I got gas this morning. I got gas this morning before I went to work, and there's like a TV screen yeah. that's just like talking about shit at did you me. Go to Speedway. Yeah, I did. I've been going to Speedway yeah. almost exclusively because my card doesn't work, so I have to use Apple Pay. It's just in a swipe, so I use Apple Pay to pay off of the card, which the whole thing's bullshit. But Speedway is it's like. And the funniest part to me is they don't put it on until you start pumping gas. Yeah. Like, you earned this by buying gas. And I'm like, you should you should turn it off when I'm pumping gas. <laughs> like, I should have purchased the right... I'll pay you a cent more a gallon if I don't have to fucking watch this when I'm pumping gas. Yeah, I've, I've never felt more like I was in a Black Mirror episode until like <laughs> had that like gas station TV experience. Yeah. And like they always like have content only produced for the gas station mm-hmm. pump. I just want to know, like, what that job is like. Well, it's and because it, it's you know? the most nothing news. It's like they're like, <laughs> uh, hurricanes in hurricane season. See how they do things. Yeah, it's like come up with, come <laughs> up with like interesting fun- content that's four seconds long, or like a a video made for us that no one else has. Like, there's one where it was like, check out this like hot trending video. It was like. Uh, like a guy in a jetpack, like just like floating yeah. over a river. I was like, why? Why was this selected? Like, where? Here's how it's going is. on. Imagine a 40 year old knows that Reddit exists and is trying to distill it in a way that 60 year olds will enjoy. <laughs> and I specifically said enjoy because it's clearly not meant for them to just be able to understand, but to hit a younger market, it is very much like, you know, who's going to fall in love with that? Old people. Like, oh, I have four TVs on at my house all the time, and now there's one when I get gas, too. 
Thank the Lord. Uh, okay, now everybody go around and say what your favorite uh, seltzer meme is. Favorite seltzer meme. Yeah. My favorite seltzer meme is real life. It is the fact <laughs> that uh, uh, I, I think Natty is owned by Miller, but there there are two at least two Natty seltzers out right now. Mm. Um, and they're, they're seltzers, and there is the Catalina Lime Mixer. Kill me now. And the other one is also a stupid pun out of like mango or something. It's like mango crazy or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But there are there are two natty seltzers now on That's top dope. of natter days. I think what I think what's most interesting to me about this whole thing is that it's just sort which of which is be- like a four chan shit post that is real life. Is all <laughs> I have to say. It's sort of turned into like the whole craft beer IPA debate all over again because there there are plenty of memes about Lacroix and they're like aha it's like. It's like if soda water was transferred next to another truck that was yeah. carrying lime. Yeah, it's like, like that hint of hint of lime or yeah. like was in the same room as a grapefruit. Yeah. But now there's like this huge debate now whether or not like hard seltzer is legitimate or not. And at the end of the day, it's all bullshit. Like drink what you want and I don't give, I don't care. It's a Aloha Beaches. Mm. Oh, I get you. I get it. Okay. I get it. I get it. But that's like, that's like the weird discourse now is like people that... Like the people that like ironically like shit on Lacroix, or the, like making fun of the people that actually like it, like me. There are dozens of us, and then like <laughs> <Literally>. that's like <laughs> that's like the debate now with like hard seltzer, and now that it's become more commodified, and there's like everyone is just trying to get a piece of that pie. There's like, well, actually, it's good, and then people are like, well, actually, it's is bad, which are, are correct, I think, but I don't know. I like it. I like seltzers. I'm on uh, board. I showed up at a party. I think that there is room for it. I was at a party yesterday, and I was like, you know what made it a lot more enjoyable for me to drink uh, craft beer? Was like, I had a seltzer and then a beer, and with two drinks, I didn't feel fucking disgustingly full. That's fair. Yeah. But I, I showed up at a party f- earlier in the summer, uh, and I, I'm a craft beer nerd. I, I'm a beer guy. I got. I'm. I'm a certified beer asshole. That whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I showed up at a party with some White Claw and some Two Hearted, and I, I had a White Claw first. And these other people who I know tangentially showed up, and they were like, "Oh my god, I was gonna ask you what you thought about this whole seltzer thing." And you're dr- like, "I thought for sure you'd have some like shit to say." And I'm like, "Yeah." I'm refreshed. <laughs> That's like, I feel good right That's now. That's the tea. I'm refreshed. So, like, I don't know. I'm not saying anything's better than anything else, but, like, <laughs> I, I dig a grapefruit White Claw. If you want to listen to the new Chance the Rapper record and, like, drink some White Claw, go for it. Yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we are drinking today yes. uh, Bell's Oktoberfest. Uh, which is a traditional Marzen, and I, we, Nick and I didn't do enough research uh, to figure out. We might have talked about this last year at this time did. also, because we, we just love this beer. It is. This was my very first shift beer. We right. for sure talked about this on the show. Oh, yeah. Now that you say that again. Yeah, it's my first <laughs> shifty at Bell's when I got hired in. This is the very first beer that I ever had as like an employee. There's two styles of beer that... Uh, the Germans would call an Oktoberfest beer. There's Marzen, which is the original one, and then Fest beer, uh, which is a modern variation that's a little paler. They're German lagers. There's honestly not that much going on there, and that's the point. It's refreshing. Uh, Oktoberfest comes out in August because Oktoberfest is in September, uh, and it's just it, it's just easy drinking. Mm-hmm. 
a little caramel, a little bready, and just, I don't know. This it, is so easy for me to drink and not think about to the point where I'm like halfway through it and I haven't yeah. even called it by name yet. It, it's the perfect setup for fall, honestly. Like, mm-hmm. this, just, this is just one of those steps that gets me closer to the leaves changing and the weather cooling down. That first like, like late August night when you, you're at a bonfire because it's just cold enough that you can actually justify having it. And like it's a bonfire, but everyone's in a t-shirt and shorts because it's way too hot around a fire to be wearing like a hoodie yet. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> this beer to me. Yeah. <laughs> so who gives a shit about like tasting notes and mouthfeels and <clears throat> hop aromas? Uh, I do. Well, I, I know, I know, but what, but the whole idea is kind of tastes like pretzels. <laughs> go to a go to a bonfire with shorts and a t shirt and drink this beer, and it's perfect. Hell yeah, yeah, and just get ready for some fall activities, you know? Yeah, like the big game, whatever that is to you. The big game. Get ready to have a big day. The big game. For- <laughs> oh. Get married to your wife and write a 77-minute album about it. The big game for me every year is the first game of the Lions season because we could always be good until the first game. (laughs) And if you win that one, then my big game is the next one. It's every one until my soul is crushed every year. And it's never I never care nearly as much about the Super Bowl as I do about the first Lions game to see if maybe we're actually good this time. (laughs) And we're not, ever. So... Um... So Sean, you run a you you're an entrepreneur. You run a business. You want to tell us about that? <laughs> well, I do actually. Um, that's like the only reason I'm on here is like, like <laughs> because you want yeah. my mom to know where she can buy records. Exactly. <laughs> and our one random fan in Chicago that apparently knows about yeah. us. I mean, yes, any, I'm talking. To yeah, you. any chance I can get to like maybe have something turn into money for me, I'm uh-huh. all about that. Yeah, so <laughs> this better pay off, y'all. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so for about 10 years, I worked at a record store that was originally called the Corner Record Shop here in Kalamazoo, and then Satellite Records, and then a few months ago, me and the other five employees quit all in one night, and uh, I've been selling records from home ever since, uh, doing Discogs and Reverb LP, and also selling at record shows around the state and various other events. I just did a pop-up record store at Factory Coffee on Friday. Oh, cool. I like that place. Yeah, it was a good vibe. Um, booking a record show at Bell's on November 16th. Awesome. And uh, various other things. You can have, did you say October? Uh, November, November 16th. You cannot have Oktoberfest, probably, <laughs> at that show. But you go to that, everyone go to that, and drink a Bass Brown instead. Yeah. Or oh, my you, God, Bass Brown. Or you yeah, can get go ready to that for Christmas. Show. I'm going to yeah. be there. My, my dad's probably going to be at that record show, and I'm probably going to be there with him. So go to that. Hell yeah. Yeah. Record show atmospheres Me- are meet so and greet cool. Nick's dad. Yeah. <laughs> Friend of the pot. DJ Hard Bargain's record show. No, record shows are so cool, because it's just a bunch of vinyl nerds all in a room, if that doesn't sound appealing to you, I get that. Yeah, a lot of people yeah. would respond, record shows aren't cool at all, because it's just a bunch of fun. But it's oh, like, it, I don't know, it's just so cool, like, everyone's walking around, thumbing through a record. It's fun to like, be around people who like the thing that's going on. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's nice when yeah. people are into the thing that's happening. And it's like, being in, like, when you're walking around looking through different bins of records, and you, like, find the thing that you've been looking for, or find something that you're pleasantly surprised by, like, I don't know, I love that feeling. And record shows are really good for that. Yeah. 
Um, and you know, you get to find out how many Trump supporters buy records and oh, things like that. No. Like, What's your favorite find? Ooh, that's a good question. You had like a in, find that was ooh, just like, that's damn. such a good question. Ideally in person, but online works too. Yeah, I've had I've had a lot. Um, trying to think, one of the so the most recent one I bought a record collection out in Flint that like. It was the kind of thing where they like posted like six pictures of records online. I was like, those are all decent, and they're selling like two thousand records for a few hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. Like, this is gonna be great. And then I bought it and threw away like seventy percent of the records. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> but there's like random like little pockets of good stuff. Um, and uh, one of the records I kept for myself was Curtis Mayfield's self-titled mm-hmm. record. With a, <clears throat> the one with Move On Up on it. It's like mm-hmm. a German import version of it. Oh, wow. pretty excited about it. There's like a late period Roy Ayers record from 1983 that just like slaps so hard. I actually played that at Factory Coffee the other day. Nice. Yeah, um, did you get, did you, you ever find Engelbert Humperdinck's Christmas album? Um, Yeah. yeah it's been around. That's a banger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the only Christmas album I own. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how like people don't, give a shit about any of those crooners aside from Frank Sinatra until it's Christmas time. It was like, where's the Johnny Mathis records? (laughs) (laughs) Where's your Johnny Mathis section? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I will say my greatest find, not that you were asking. What was your greatest find? My... (laughs) My greatest oh, my greatest find? <laughs> he was looking directly at me, Nick. Oh, yeah. Uh, Both at the same time. Go. I want to say I have, <laughs> two, I, have <laughs> I have two greatest finds. One of them is kind of racist and awful. That's a good setup. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I was, it was in Hastings at Secondhand Corners. <laughs> Rip. It, Secondhand Corners closed this summer. But I found a double live uh, Parliament record. Oh. In immaculate condition, both albums in peak shape, had a entire poster of George Clinton in one sleeve, and then in the other sleeve was an unused T-shirt iron-on. Holy from shit! From like the Parliament nice. tour from 1977. Hell yeah! Didn't have a wow. Did not have a price tag on it. Brought it up to the counter, asked <clears> how <throat> much, and the dude was like, "Oh, the black stuff is fifty cents." Ooh. And I was like, I, I paused, I paused, and You're I was like, I'm no, I'm gonna give you more money I because that's racist. I, I was like, wait, okay. <laughs> so, I so Nick bought all of the quote black stuff unquote. Um, and then the other, the other greatest find was that actually is at a record show in Lansing that I was at, I think, with my dad, and uh, I found a copy of Controversy by Prince that included mm-hmm. one a full poster of Prince in a shower in a banana hammock. Yep. And then oh, I've seen that. If you're friends with Nick on Facebook, <laughs> uh, if you're not friends with Nick on Facebook, add him. Nick Lancaster. <laughs> Nick Lancaster. And every year around when Prince died, you'll see a photo of Nick crying next to Prince in a banana hammock on the floor. <laughs> and then the, but the other thing that came with that and album... And you'll be like, boy, it's it's this time of year again? I can't believe April's... Eight, sometimes it snows in April. Can you believe it's April again? And then in the other sleeve was a tour poster from a Prince show at Hill Auditorium in Ann Arbor from like 1981. Cool poster. And it was like, it was priced at like $12 for the show and Morris Day and the time were opening up for it. And it was, I'm pretty sure it's a legitimate tour poster from that era. Hell yeah. I paid 20 bucks for the record and I was like, holy shit. Like the dude didn't even know that it was in there. 
that mm-hmm. like the the tour poster was in there. That rules. The day that Prince died, I was actually booked for a House of Boogie dance party at Bell's. So I was like packing my records and got the news and just like, what the fuck? Like, yep. no one was expecting that, but it was like, honestly, like the, you know, the best thing Man, you should have seen Nick for that, that time. I, yeah. was, I went to that House of Boogie show that night. Yeah. I was there. It was just like, well, like, we're all, like, sad and confused, and we're just going to fucking work this out together, listen to all this <laughs> Prince music. I remember like, yeah. Chelsea and I were, like, <clears throat> hanging out with you all day. It was snowing, I think, that day. Probably. Um, Wouldn't be surprised. We were hanging out with you, and you're just, like, inconsolably playing us really obscure Prince songs. <laughs> <laughs> Sound, sounds about right. I think, I think I feel like we ate McDonald's or something. I don't, just that's, I don't remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. All right. Nick, you got anything to plug? Uh, I haven't plugged it in a few episodes. Um, if you like craft beer and like the riveting beer discussion that we just had uh, last year, holy shit, it's almost a year out. Uh, I hosted a podcast for Bells called The Shifty, where we talk to various people that work at Bells uh, and what they Including do. Including founder and president Larry James Bell. Yeah, we talked to Larry Bell. He makes a weird Harry Potter reference. That was my favorite part about the entire episode that we did with him. So that's on iTunes. I don't know. Leave that a review. Leave it a, a, a star rating. Maybe I'll be able to continue doing that if enough people go to the streets with torches and pitchforks and demand more episodes of The Shifty. Sick. Andrew? Anything to plug? Uh, I hear Yakima, Washington is pretty cool. <laughs> Why is that? And I will be moving there uh, in about six weeks. So. Oh. I guess what I'm plugging is me. If you're in Yakima, Washington, and you want to hire me, I'm talking to you, GameStop. You can if you if you're looking for me, uh, you can reach me at uh, something old, something new, something borrowed, something brewed on Facebook. You can also find our Instagram at SOSNSBSB Podcast. Uh, we're also on Twitter at SOSNSBSB Podcast, and I believe we have an email as well, which is that. At gmail.com. Oh, I don't have to record a mid-roll bit now because you just did all... I haven't had to say those in so long. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> Again, that is SOSNSBSBpodcast <laughs> at gmail.com. Perfect. And uh, uh, because I didn't say this earlier, you can find me at DJHardBargain at gmail.com. Uh, Discogs DJ Hardbargain. We'll put all the links in the episode description and post about it so people can find it. Yeah. Whoever our listeners are out there. Yeah, buy some records from me online. Come out to my garage and buy some records. Let's hang out. Hell yeah. yeah. Um, thanks for joining us, Sean. Anytime. Yeah. This has been great. On behalf of Nick Lancaster and mm. myself, because I got to say his name both times. Damn. This episode, <laughs> uh, I want to say thank you for listening. Uh, this has been Something Old. Something New. Something Borrowed. And something brewed. And we'll see you on side B.